the lie the poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where would we be where would we be welcome to the state of the theory podcast i'm hannah I'm an India. And we are your theory doctors. You always do this thing. I what thing do When I do? you push the button yeah. to start recording. Yeah. And there's a moment where we're going to decide who's going to start speaking first. Yeah. And when you don't want to start speaking first, you always wave your arms yes. to invite me to begin and yes. it's like a conductor <laughs> an orchestra yeah. and it's been that way for three years now and I feel like no one our listeners don't get to see it but when we record it's part of the process so I felt like I wanted to bring them in so if you can imagine if you've ever seen an India teach or speak just imagine, he's waving his arms like a conductor, inviting me to begin. <laughs> um, none of our other episodes has begun like that. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back. Um, I hope you've all been well. Uh, today we are talking about something that is hopefully less uh, misery-making than... The last few episodes we've been talking about. Yeah, although I, I suspect people do have strong feelings about this. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things... It matters less. Lives aren't on the line today. No. Which is a relief. We are talking about Disney. We're talking about Disney. And Disney's recent trend over the last four or five years uh, to be... to trend of remaking previously animated films uh, using either uh, a combination of live action and animate animation or redoing the animation using contemporary technology. Yeah, uh, special effects that, special that, effects that, are, that try to simulate live action even when, but that are animated. Yeah. Uh, I guess at the moment there are two trailers or trailers for two films that are coming out so Aladdin is getting a live action remake uh, you might have seen the trailer on on YouTube and so on uh, Will Smith as the Blue Genie is has created a particular fuss uh, there's also a Lion King uh, trailer for the live action Lion King that will be released later this year um, in the past we've had Cinderella we've had Beauty and the Beast uh, you pointed out that most, if not all, of these have also had a separate life as hit Broadway shows, um, stage musicals, which are, of course, live action. Yes, they are. Um, but why did we want to do an episode about this? Uh, partly because when we originally started the podcast, I think pop culture was more our interest. I mean, yeah. our very first episode was about a Coldplay music video and Orientalism. Yes. And then the world took a sharp left turn into the weird. 
and not so wonderful. And so we felt a responsibility, I think, to talk more about contemporary events and things going on kind of in the more kind of political arena. But there's always been, we always have discussions about elements of of what's going on in popular culture, and we do talk about that offline. Mm -hmm. And a couple years ago, we wanted to do one, well, I wanted to do one on the Jungle Book. Yeah. Um, because I find the Jungle Book just really fascinating. Um, and then Brexit happened, so we never talked about yeah. the Jungle Book. You also wanted to do another Beauty and the Beast because you have feelings about that. Well, yeah, or like, I, I think I just put up a, a, a little post on social media that some people found mm. um, either interesting or accurate yeah. or like upsetting. Yeah. I think people had all those responses yeah. and I just thought it was trite like me yeah. saying something stupid on Facebook, which is usually what I what I think I do, but um, it was essentially that, you know, when the Beauty and the Beast and uh, right all we are of the generation that these mm. movies matter to us in a, in a nostalgic sense and we'll talk more about nostalgia because you just published a book on nostalgia, so I'll make you talk about nostalgia uh, in a bit, but for us these movies are shorthand mm. for childhood. Yeah. And so when I say Beauty and the Beast, when I say Beauty and the Beast, I also have to hand all the memories I have of watching that movie yeah. in the various guises in which I did so. With my yeah. family, in the movie theater, at my house, yeah. um, with friends, at sleepovers, when I had the flu, yeah. you know, recently when it came out yeah. of the vault, you know, all this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Aladdin was the first movie I saw in the movie theater. My dad took me to see it. Um, I fell asleep, I'm sure, because I was pretty little. But it uh, it was always my favorite movie from yeah. from the mm. time I was a kid onwards. Um, and it, it Aladdin is my favorite Disney movie. And there f- I meet fewer people that say mm. that. Mm. Most people, it's either The Little Mermaid or The Lion King. My mom's was Beauty and the Beast, but she also loved Cinderella from her childhood. Um, and when Beauty and the Beast came out a couple years ago, my mom and I felt zero mm. kind of nostalgia, mm. and the the movie did not make us mm. make us feel the sense mm. of nostalgia that mm. I think other people had. Mm. Uh, partly that is because my mom is the most practical, pragmatically sentimental mm. person I know mm. um, when it comes to popular culture, mm. but also because, like, from a practical perspective, Beauty and the Beast is mostly animated. The kind mm. of the live action mm. remake it was it was released last. Last year, year before, 2017? 2016, I think it was. 2016, 2017. Okay, yeah. the, it's... A lot of it is animated or produced as kind of digital special effects. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's got anthropomorphized household items. Yes. There's like dancing forks yes. in Beauty and the Beast. Like you, I mean, you could hire an actor to be a dancing fork, and the Broadway show certainly did do yeah. that but some of the charm of it was that there yes. were people dressed up in in teapot costumes mm. you know yeah. the live action movie just created them on a computer mm. and then like remade the, the movie shot for shot mm. but with like a new version of an animated mm. teacup mm. and the, my my biggest problem with it is that Beauty and the Beast obviously is is a problematic movie. Mm. It it represents a kind of 
very distressing case of Stockholm Syndrome, a woman trapped in a castle by a, a man who's been turned into a beast because he's an awful person. And there's a rapey character that wants mm. to get her to marry him back home. And her dad clearly is, you know, a single pop raising mm. his girl in, in a traditional French town. You know, there's all mm. sorts of problematic bits yeah. of this movie. Yeah. But it's less creepy. Mm. Because it was drawn by some artists yeah. and colored in. Yeah. And so the, the bits about it that are really moving, that mm. people respond to and that people connect with, mm. the bits about it that, that are very human mm. are made human because of the, the, the old animation, the yeah. old style of animation. You can see a little a, a, like waddling clock Mm. as your uncle mm. you know mm. and the the bits about the beast being kind of creepy and like mm. keeping her chained up and then her falling in love with him like okay mm. not great but it's not real yeah. live action movie all of a sudden all the bits yeah. that shouldn't have been animated that didn't need to be animated are yeah. and the bits that should have been animated and removed yeah. from live action or not. not it's yeah. a real girl yeah. and a real dude yeah. dressed up like a beast like it's just really yes. and I found it so creepy mm. and so so anathema to the humanity of mm. the the anime the original yeah. animated film yeah. that it just felt so much like a money making exercise yeah. and so exploitative of, of my generation's nostalgia that I was just like no I don't want to go anywhere mm. near this. And I watched it on a plane mm. just to like, you know, be my own devil's advocate. Mm. And I was, I finished it and I was like, nope. Yeah. Nothing. And, and while this doesn't have the same problematic gender politics that you identified in the, in, correctly identified in the, in the Beauty and the Beast and the way, the way the, uh, boundaries between animation and live action affected affects how we read how we uh, relate to the gender politics of the film I think something similar is happening in the genie in, in Aladdin right so uh, if you've been following this the the trailer was released showing the Aladdin as Will Smith as a blue genie uh, he is identifiably Will Smith uh, but he's blue, um, and this created a huge fuss on on social media. And both of us, I think, were a little bit confused initially because it seemed the least remarkable thing about the trailer. I mean, the trailer is you mentioned our first episode, the episode about Orientalism. The trailer is sort of Orientalism writ large, writ large, um, and. Hannah's got a new dog. I have. I adopted a dog. Adopt, don't shop. Uh, but she is here with us while we're recording. She's called Ketchup and she wants to take part. Her name is Ketchup. So apologies for yes. dog sounds. That's fine. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying that's fine. Do not apologize. Anyway, okay. Um, and I think the, 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 the reason why Will Smith's Blue Genie created that level of fuss is I think similar to your to the reason why you reacted differently to an animated beauty and the beast where Belle is drawn as opposed to 
an actual Emma Watson in a castle. Yeah. In other words, the genie we remember is clearly not human. Yeah. He is voiced by an actor, Robin Williams, and there is a particularly a, a particularly painful story in which a lot of us have a lot of emotional investment to do with that human being's life and career and death. But as the genie, he's the genie, he's not Robin Williams. Yeah. Will Smith, as the genie, is Will Smith. Yeah. He has the, sh- the shape yeah. and the look of Will Smith. And there's something happening in terms of how much we can suspend disbelief when uh, when the, the genie we see is not a genie. The genie, when we see the genie is, and the genie is Will Smith. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the things that interests me of, from what you were saying is about the quality of animation. Mm. Because you, you mentioned nostalgia, and a lot of the particularly nostalgic responses to, uh, to these remakes has been a quite a nostalgic attachment to the animation that was a bit rubbish and this idea that that is what made it charming mm-hmm. right if you you said this when you uh, when we saw the trailer for the new Lion King that the new baby Simba is not quite as cute as the baby Simba in the first film the real one the like, real let's, one. let's yeah. be clear here yeah. the only baby Simba in my life and I'm I'm fascinated with this the idea that the old style animation makes it more charming because what I was thinking about is another example of a rebooted animation and actually a live action CGI remake which is Paddington yes are uh, a very different type of animation that the new version as opposed to what what was before but an animation that has a, a, or a rebooted version that has pretty universally been loved critical responses were great box office stakes were good Ben Wisher was generally considered to have done a great job as forcing Paddington and I wonder what what it what it makes a particular type of animation, a redone animation, successful. Uh, you could think of there was a Peter Rabbit reboot, which was really not successful. Yeah. Uh, Postman Pat has had a reboot which wasn't successful. And it's some in some cases it seems like the rebooted version allows for a reinvestment of the nostalgia. Yes. And in other versions, it doesn't. Paddington definitely allowed for a reinvestment of the nostalgia, partly, I think, because Paddington is such a nostalgic film. Both the rebooted version and its sequel, Paddington and Paddington 2, are so heavily uh, circumscribed with nostalgia. You know, it's, it's... if you haven't seen the film, I definitely go and rec- definitely recommend you you go away and watch it. Uh, Paddington does a nostalgic rewriting of nineteen fifties London, and it's a nostalgic rewriting that is nostalgic for a specifically multicultural, multiracial London. 
which in the context of a Brexit Britain seemed particularly poignant and allowed for a kind of progressive nostalgic investment. Um, we haven't seen Aladdin. The, the, it hasn't been released. We haven't seen Lion King. Uh, we don't know if, if it will allow for a similar kind of nostalgic investment. But certainly the response to the trailer in terms of Will Smith's Blue Genie suggests that, that the displacement of that nostalgia from the orig- or the transfer from the original film to its sequel or to its remake isn't necessarily always seamless. And I don't yeah. know what makes it seamless and what doesn't. These ones aren't seamless. And, and like, so Cinderella, mm. uh, directed by Kenneth Branagh, uh, from like five years ago almost. Um, And then The Jungle Book and Beauty and the Beast. You know, people went to see these movies. Mm. People were more excited about Beauty and the Beast than I was. Mm. Um, Definitely. I think my my opinion was a minority one, Mm. I would say. Mm. Um, but But no one came out of it being like, that was even better than the original. When I grow up and have kids, when I grow up and have kids, I will show them this one and not the old one. You know, right? It, mm-hmm. It's not a replacement mm-hmm. or... And it's not even quite a supplement. It's like the yeah. act of going to see it is the, is what evokes the nostalgia. Yeah. Not the thing itself. Not the, the cultural artifact itself. Mm. So it's the act of going and and the knowledge of of consuming it that is partly mm. what creates the nostalgia rather than the movie mm. itself. Whereas with Paddington, the movies themselves evoke the nostalgia mm. by their the, the way that they create references, mm. the construction of mm. the street in London itself, mm. the use of, of actors that are so quintessentially British mm-hmm. and that are recognizably like British British cultural items, you know, mm-hmm. Downton Abbey mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and you know, Hugh Grant, right? Like, yeah. the yeah, whole... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all of Paddington is... Yeah, it, it produces a certain element of nostalgia. These films are, like, shot-for-shot shot remakes of movies that have been... that were animated previously. Okay. And so it's there's something about the technically yeah. they're being transferred shot for shot almost. I mean, and it, there's a there's an it feels like an element of plagiarism, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, I mean, I, I just thinking back, one of the commonest responses, and I think you had you might have used these words as well when you're talking about Beauty and the Beast, but one of the commonest responses to a lot of the live action films has been words to the effect of the world doesn't need another mm-hmm. you know like the, and, and that that's that's in, that interests me because the implication there is I think generally a fair recognition that this reboot remake whatever hasn't had enough creative in, input in order to justify its existence yes right which is on one level Clearly not true because, I mean, if you if, even if you see the trailers for Aladdin or Lion King, the amount of labor that has gone into making 
to reanimating it is huge and, and yeah. comparable to any any film, surely. Yeah, and I'm sure that Will Smith's work yeah. will be classic Will Smith. Yeah. He will be entertaining. Yeah. He has, uh, I think, you know, I've never met the man, mm. but my impression of Will Smith is that he works very hard yeah. and he has put a lot of creative labor yeah. into being the genie. Yeah. You know, it's but not like... somehow that... In the mind of the audience, certainly in terms of res- the response to the trailer, suggests that there is something unnecessary about the project as a whole. In other words, we already had Aladdin. We don't need another one. Is it a question of originality? But does all remake does remakes and reboots always get that f- response? Well. They all have different kinds of weird responses, and there's yeah. always a problematic response. Yeah. Um, you know, right, Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters yeah. remake yeah. had a, a men's rights yeah. troll response. Yeah. Uh, Ocean's 8 as well did the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Got the same uh, response. So anytime a character is turned into, turned into a woman or mm, turned into mm, a not white man, mm, mm. you know, there's always that kind of... Uh, of online response and critical response as well as often you know the it's not as good as the original or it's not as funny or it's not as um and there's a, there's a as radical or whatever kind of not particularly particularly complicated nostalgia going on in there yeah in that response right so it it in a sense it doesn't matter how good it is or it isn't it will never match the the sensation of going to I mean going to watch Aladdin in the cinema for the first time presumably I mean that that you know it's 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 not about objectively and I've got scare, scare quotes again sort of objectively how good or otherwise this film is there is something about the memory of having experienced it as a seven year old or whatever yeah that is so sacred in in one's mind that the new one won't be able to touch it yeah I mean I do I feel like my my sort of um, critique of this Hmm. is about the is the medium yeah and the the animation and the problematic nature of the stories yeah Um, because the stories are you know the Disneyfication Mm. Uh, is not great you know Mm. Aladdin is a a deeply racist film and you know it's a the longer versions of its songs and I'm sure it's extended director's cut uh, doesn't make it look any better Beauty and the Beast is a horribly problematic treatment of women the Disney princess trope is is troubling yeah um Pocahontas. I mean, talking about we were talking about nature yeah. previously and the uh, articulations of, of nature and science, and you know all of the, when you make it, when you turn it into live action, you're you, you get closer to it being about um about in a, in a yeah. way it objectifies yeah. Yeah. it objectifies the, the people more than it makes the them more real right it yeah, makes and it them makes, less fictional and it makes them more objective yeah. 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 so Will Smith is you know has 
his self mm. is consumed as a genie in mm. a way that Robin Williams wasn't when yeah. it was just his voice attached yeah. to a cartoon character yeah. that is clearly not a person. Yeah. And in, in that way, the irony is that it Will Smith is is more objectified and dehumanized and the story and the character himself is yeah. less less human where we are removed from him in a way. Would that have still been the case if there hadn't been a Robin Williams genie? I mean, the genie is Robin Williams in the sense of the history of the movie exactly. is he wrote it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they didn't really write much of the dialogue. Robin yeah. Williams created a lot yeah. of the dialogue. Yeah. So I get the impression from the the one or couple of things that Will Smith mm. says as a genie in the trailer mm. that they've they've probably taken liberties with the genie yeah. in a way that they didn't in Beauty and the Beast, yeah. for example. Yeah. That he's got new dialogue. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the nature of the, yeah. the piece itself means that they don't want Will Smith doing a Robin mm. Williams impression. Yeah. Um, but I don't... I don't know. I mean, they could not have... If Robin Williams were alive, they could not have made this movie, I don't mm. think. Because it would have... Yeah. They probably would have gone to him and asked him to do it, and it would have been like yeah. seeing the Wizard of Oz, yeah. you know, like that un- the unmasking yeah. of the Wizard of yeah. Oz. Yeah. That, in fact, the the power and emotion and kind of connection that you feel with the the, mm. the character yeah. would would be diminished. Yeah. It's. There are a couple of things I'm thinking, and I don't know if they, they're related. One is, you mentioned Pocahontas. I wonder at what point does even Disney say this is too problematic to have a live-action remake? Yeah, I mean, and I would have thought Aladdin would have would have been that, but they did, Pocahontas make a, gonna be that? they did make a Broadway show of yeah. Aladdin, so that's probably... Yeah. Uh, but also, like, I wonder if Aladdin is... Even a remade version of a live-action remade version of Aladdin is orientalized enough so that it just becomes fictional. But yeah. Pocahontas is harder to do with that. Yeah, I wonder if there'll be a Mulan, for example. You know, at at what point does does it just become? You know. Yeah, I mean, I get, there probably will be a Mulan. Pocahontas remains. Yeah. So troubling. Yeah. It, and I guess it is because it's that encounter, that that North American yeah. encounter. Yeah. Um, but the story itself is yeah. should never be made yeah. into a live action film. I mean, there was that that ridiculous um, Colin Farrell movie, right? Hmm. That told told that the story. Right? Yeah. What was it called? New mm. World or something? Yeah, yeah. It's mm. panned. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it, the story is, they've tried mm. to tell the story and it never goes over well. So so I guess that that's one question I had. The other question I had was, was more specifically about nostalgia, which is, if we are right, and in most cases it seems to be the case, that the remade version will never match up to the memory of the original, why do they prove to be such a reliable box office success? Because they clearly do, otherwise they wouldn't bother, right? Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't bother. Um, you know, even... And, and you you made a point, I think, before we started recording, that it is... There, uh, there is a certain, certain level of Disney 
appropriating labor without crediting it, right? So the stories, Disney doesn't have to pay anyone to write the stories because yeah. the stories have been written and Disney owns them. Yeah, and the, so, the, the people who wrote them originally don't don't get credited, get credited yeah. or get money for it. So there's a, there's a level of plagiarizing and exploiting of labor happening there. I would, I have no material basis to make this claim, but I would guess that even so, the amount of money that Disney is spending in in order to animate these new films probably isn't that much less than it would cost Disney to make a brand new film. Do you see what I mean? I'm, I don't know how much Disney is saving by not paying someone to write a new story. Yeah, I mean, there's. A, I guess Disney currently is in the business of making money off of 70s and 80s and stuff. Yes. And, and they that bought is, Star Wars. Yes, and what, okay. what, what interests me uh, is... If if that nostalgia is always an unfulfilled promise, which in in most cases it seems to be, yeah, given the the, the discourse around Star, the reception of the Star Wars films yeah. has been mixed. Yeah. So, it, um, shout out to our friend Katie Garner who uh, made this point in relation to the new Mary Poppins, ah. which is uh, a point about adaptation, which is it's either too similar or too different, right? And it's it's, it's trying to get the right balance. Uh, the Force Awakens Star Wars was so clearly a remake of Star Wars Episode 4 um, that it was essentially the same film, just done again. Right? So, but it seems to me that either, either you run the risk of it being so different that the nostalgia gets un- remains unfulfilled or it's so similar that it remains unsatisfying. But in both cases, it's clearly, it clearly has the potential to be really powerful box office successes. And there's some, there's a mismatch there that I don't quite, I can't quite figure out in my head. Is it just people are going, people are either going to see, to to be reminded of what it was like when they were first saw it, and people are going to to be angry about it at the same time? And either way, you're still paying to go. So, you know, Disney doesn't care. Disney doesn't care if you're going to watch it to be angry about how it was different from when you were little or how similar it was from when you were little. Do you see what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the reason we consume things isn't, isn't just because it makes us feel one particular way. Yeah. We consume... Right, we consume horror films not yeah. to feel good, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there, yeah, there is something about about nostalgia working in those those ways, mm. the 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 different ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't pay to go see Beauty and the Beast. My mom and I didn't go together. Yeah. Um, I will not pay to go see Aladdin. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen Cinderella. Yeah. Even though recently, yeah. my mom and I watched uh, the animated Cinderella yeah. together. Yeah. Um. So I. But of course, yeah, that's I the. Know. I mean, but I'm not a representative sample. You're am not. I? You're not. But equally, to play devil's advocate for a second, to what extent is your decision to watch the animated Cinderella connected to the fact that there was a new Cinderella? No, it was because my mom and I were in an Airbnb with a 
some DVDs mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. offer, mm-hmm. and that's the one that and that's the one that was there. My mom and I watch it every once yeah. in a while together. No, so I'm I'm just wondering, like, to what extent is the decision to remake a film? as part of that commercial decision a factor in that people won't just watch this people will go back and pay watch to watch the old one as well I mean they do write Disney as the vault and it yeah they open up the vault yeah but I do yeah I mean I mean there must be an uptick in people wanting to watch the, when the new Aladdin comes out yeah more people must be want to watch the old Aladdin yeah, I'm sure. It's... I mean, and they, I'm sure they're timing... They're timing mm. what comes out of the vault. Yeah. This way. And yeah. they're probably like, yes, we're so glad we invented the vault. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, Disney has the vault where they... You can't always buy mm. all Disney movies. They only release uh, DVDs. Yeah. At certain times, so they have a certain number of, of items in circulation, mm. and it's just a way of manage of of manipulating supply yeah. so that you can manipulate demand. And, and only a corporation as powerful as Disney can really do that. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they did it right. They did, but they do other stuff too. Tron. Mm. Um, the first the first remake of Tron was quite successful. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, remakes are clearly some of the more reliable money-making avenues for, for film companies. I mean, and Disney is certainly not the only one who does it. You know, we've mentioned Ocean's Eleven in, in passing. They've they've been, and you know, I mean, franchises, right? Think about think about the entire Marvel universe. Think about. Well, so one question yeah. for you about about superhero movies. Yes. Um, Superhero movies are they go back quite a long way. Yeah. They're very yeah. they're, they're very old. Yeah. Uh, comic books are a bit older. Yeah. But are they do those count would we count them in this same this same bracket, especially the ones that are made from graphic novels or or comic books. Do you mean do they do they invoke nostalgia in the same way? Or but will we put them in the same genre because what's I feel like the the live action Disney movies. One of the things we are mm. talking about is specifically the technicality of this. Yeah. So the making yeah. of a, the remaking yeah. of a film shot by yeah. shot. Yeah. So that the nostalgia is kind of in like old school film film studies type critique, where mm. you're looking specifically at screenshots and looking so that the the technical composition of the image evokes the nostalgia at, at an almost subconscious level, whereas seeing your character take on different shapes it's doing something and different. forms. It's doing something very different. But if the point of the live-action shot-by-shot remake is to evoke nostalgia, why not do the old-style animation? Because there's nothing as nostalgic as that. Yeah. And in fact, um, the Princess and the Frog yeah. did that. Yeah. And was really successful yeah. at evoking the kind of sentiment yeah. of Aladdin and Beauty and yeah. the Beast and the Lion King yeah. but created a f- an updated story. Yeah. Paddington 2 did that. Yeah. There's a sequence in Paddington 2 where they go into the in, so 
if you haven't seen Paddington 2, Paddington wants to buy a, a picture book for uh, his aunt, a picture book about London, and there's a bit where they go inside to the picture book and, and animate that. And that animation is very different from the rest of the film. And it's clearly a, 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 a form of animation that is much more obviously designed to invoke nostalgia in, through the style of animation. So that there is clearly something uh, the particular types of animation have specific meanings to do with nostalgia and some are more clearly able to evoke nostalgia than others. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I do think this is doing something weird yeah. and different. Yeah. And it's the, the, the lack of kind of perfect, that perfect chemistry, mm-hmm. you know, and a mm. kind of unquantifiable pseudo-chemistry, it, it doesn't quite make it with the Disney live-action remakes, as opposed to, I'm thinking yeah. specifically of how some some of the Christopher Nolan Batman films, for some reason, they were really successful, right? Heath Ledger's Joker mm. was a completely new creation, but at the same time managed to tap into yeah. a sort of comic book fan's obsession mm. with the character of the Joker. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the way that Doctor Who, right? The, the new Doctor Who also taps into nostalgia while being a woman. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So I... I mean, it's that dynamic between similarity and difference, right? And it's a very careful dance to play where you go, you go f- far enough to make something different, so that you're giving giving the audience a new product, a new commodity. Yeah, the new story of the, the princess and the frog. Of, yeah, an African American princess yeah. who isn't a princess. Yeah. but the animation is similar, similar enough that you can your feelings latch onto it. Yeah. But recognizable from a recognizable stable of yeah. our universe of and the music things, as well yeah. it was written by the same yeah the team yeah it's it's no coincidence I don't think that the Lion King trailer specifically has perhaps the most recognizable music from from the original and voice and voice uh, James Earl Jones yes. <laughs> the world's dad. Um, yeah, I would have expected like Morgan Freeman or someone as as an updated Mufasa. Mufasa. But we go back to my original point. There's only one Mufasa, and if he is still alive, didn't stop them from using John Oliver to do Zazu. I can't remember who did the original Zazu. Oh, Zazu. Um, Remember, I'm conf- keep confusing him with Iago. Gilbert Gottfried was yeah. was the first Iago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Disney wins. Capitalism for the win. And I sort of have a, a very small abject response. Are you going to watch the new Lion King? No. No, I'm not. Because, mm. honestly, I can only watch... I, I really don't watch the old Lion King because yeah. I can't really watch Mufasa die. Yeah. It's just too much for me. Mm. 
Kind of like how I really don't like watching Wally. Yeah. Like uh, Wally, Wally floating around in space upsets me. What about the first ten minutes of Up? I have not seen Up because everyone talks about the first ten minutes of Up, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I just won't do it. I watched Lion King on the the original Lion King, the real Lion King, in your formulation on the on my last flight back from India, and it's still horrible. It's still. It's the worst. What's really fascinating, this is we are go, going way beyond uh, what we were going to discuss, but I'd forgotten quite how much of an eco-critical message Lion King has. Oh, yes. I'd, I'd either forgotten or, or not noticed it because the yeah. the, the disorderliness of uh, Scar's rule versus Simba's rule is presented as an eco-critical, a, a, an ecological disaster. Yeah. He's, yeah, there's a, there's a, a the, sustainable... Yeah. A sustainable, respectful, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, natural circle of life. Circle of it's, life it's is all natural and yeah, and, and scars and, and scars, industrialist. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder if the new one will do the same thing then. I'm Presumably, sure. Yeah, it will do exactly the same thing. Yeah. Everything will be the same, except not quite as good. And a much bigger star cost. Are you saying? That Jonathan Taylor talks. That was also the, the th- a thing about the original one. They had a kid be Simba. They had kids yeah. voice the children yeah. lions. I mean, it's not the same as Beyonce, is it? In terms of star building. No. No. But in terms of, yeah. like... If, you're, if you want a kid to, like, connect with... Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. You have child stars. These days you can't have child stars because of, you know... Human rights. Exploitation of children. Yeah. Um, okay. Th- this is what passes for a happy episode of State of the Theory. Yeah. I mean, it, ultimately, Disney still wins. Toy Story 3 is the ultimate nostalgic Disney movie. Yeah. Like, there will not, you know... I, I'm still not quite sure what Toy Story 4 is going to bring. But um, the world doesn't need another Toy yeah. Story. Three was enough. And th- there was so much of the so much of the discourse surrounding Toy Story Four. We haven't. We, I mean, there's so much of Pixar. We haven't. We haven't even touched Pixar yet. I know. Uh, but Toy Story Four. There was so much of the discourses about how Toy Story Four looks different and the changes they've made and how. Uh, what's her name? The uh, is she called Jessie? Yes, the cowgirl. The cowgirl. She's more kickassy and different. And there was, yeah. Um, there's, there was a, a, I remember reading articles about that so we'll have to see how that what that's like when it's out yeah thank you for listening um, let us know what your favourite Disney films are yeah and if you are one of the people that prefers the live action to the original tell us why and what we're missing yeah yeah um, yep yeah. Tweet at us, comment on Facebook, send us reviews and likes and dislikes. Um, And we will catch you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians. And this has been State of the Theory. Thank you.